Ben contacted you. Uh, my, my, uh, I have Ben here, my primary organizer on the campaign right now. And the first episode of your show I ever listened to was the King Crawdad episode. And I got to say, there is no better introduction to this show than that. Holy fuck. It did happen. You know, that's that's a part of our shared history now. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so that was great. I'm not sure as a candidate I can follow that effectively. Nor should you. You should not have anything to do with any element of that story. <laughs> Crawdad remains king. That's fine. I can... I just want to be elected. Every crawdad is a king, clap emoji. Welcome to Dumb and Awful. This is Brett. This week we did something a little different. We had congressional candidate Charlie Madison Winters on to talk about her platform and her campaign. It is myself, Brett, at Relentless Board, Rob at Dumb and Awful, and Brad called in at Fizz Fishizzle. And this is Charlie Madison Winters. You can follow her at Extant CMW, E X T A N T C M W, or go to her campaign website, charliemadisonwinters.com. All right, enjoy. So you are running for Colorado District 1. Yes. Colorado District 1 encompasses the entire city and county of Denver, along with the suburbs of Glendale, Inglewood, Sheridan, and Cherry Hills. It is very much a Democratic stronghold. Uh, Republicans, I don't think, have gotten over like 40% of the vote in 20 plus years. They didn't even run a candidate a few elections back. Uh, it was just the Democrat versus the Green Party. Uh, that's sort of the setting we're here with and the current representative is diana deget yes by the time this election will roll around she will have been in this exact position for 22 years most of my life yes <laughs> yes so i was in that district for the last year and uh i had no idea who she was i've been obsessively po following politics forever brad has as well no idea who this is yeah and then, so I looked at it and I was like, all right, maybe she's wonderful. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, but she's been in for 22 years. So, eh. yeah, I mean, you know, over the tw last 22 years, it's like, well, this is what we got. This is the world we live in now. So, yeah, exactly. Thanks. So how wildly effective has it been? <laughs> she is she is as far as I can tell, if I was a cynic, I would say she has designed her political career to vote perfectly in step with the party at every single crossing, wherever the majority of the caucus is going. That's where she's voting virtually every time she largely runs her campaigns off of being pretty good on reproductive issues and stem cell research that's pretty much all she has tended to talk about for most of her campaigns those are always her themes her best vote is opposing the iraq war that's, that's Far a solid, away, that's, that's, a, solid that's a good one though if you had to pick one that's a classic it is a good one uh more recently she did vote to help fund um the concentration camps that funding bill that went through also a classic uh not, not quite as good i would say <laughs> maybe a classically bad you know like bach very mfa reference there <laughs> i hope people will appreciate it. it it's against that backdrop that charlie is running it this is a district in which if you win the pri democratic primary you're probably 
Oh, you're pretty much guaranteed to win the district. And I say that for the type of people who like to do the, we can't get the leftmost candidate because we might lose, um, which I personally think is bullshit. But even if that was your belief, that does not apply to this district. So Charlie, what do you see as the, we'll, we'll go local and then we'll start talking about like larger policy stuff. But what do you see as the main issues facing this district? This district, oh my gosh, um, <laughs> there's so much going Small on. Question. I really like high rents are a huge problem. High housing costs in general are a huge problem. Fifty uh, percent of this district is rental housing at this point. The the thing I like to say, I don't know if it's one hundred percent numerically accurate, but more or less every year I've been alive, the rent has gone up fifty dollars a year minimum. And, you know, when I started renting out here, it was like 800 bucks a month and it was nice. And now it's 1400 and uh, in four months, it's going to be higher. So, like, we're all dealing with that in this district. Point is, the rent is too damn high and <laughs> it needs to oh, go yeah. down. We've lost a lot of housing stock in the city. We've lost a lot of public housing stock. Uh, people are being gentrified out of their homes left and right down here. Almost all the new construction in this district is luxury lofts and shit no yep. one can afford. Like, you describe the district as, like, all of these areas within Denver County writ large. Like, all the way from the airport down south, there's there's almost this complete ring of areas uh, around the edge of this district where all the working class people have been pushed out to. And those who haven't are close to getting there i don't know how much longer i'm gonna be able to live in this area of the city yeah it's um i so i only lived in denver for like a year but it is noticeable it has the same issue that i've seen in pretty much every other big city i've lived in where the rent is skyrocketing in denver it's jumped uh housing prices have jumped like 60 percent in the last like eight years alone um yeah but it's you, you can walk every neighborhood and what i liked about denver is it's got this like weird architectural like mishmash of stuff and now it's just luxury condo developments. And most of Denver is like one and two story houses, except the luxury condos that are just getting dropped in every single remotely interesting neighborhood. It's the only thing people are building. I know anybody who lives in other cities, this will sound familiar because it's happening mm -hmm. in a lot of places. But yes, it is. Um, it's really bad. Every local I knew was incredibly upset and had to keep moving um, places that they'd lived their entire life. They couldn't afford anymore. So it's, yeah, it's mean, a huge issue. I don't know about it. Everyone I know has to move like every two years at best. Like that's about all we can get out of a place anymore. And so Charlie, and what you're talking about is not like a Denver specific problem, obviously. Like that's going yeah. on basically in every city, especially in the Southeast where towns like Atlanta and Nashville, I mean, that's where I'm based. Um, you know, it's, it's luxury condos yeah. everywhere. Rent's going up from like a national, like congressional person or position. Like what? What were some like just ideas that you could we could approach this problem? Like how could we you know, try to? Uh, I mean, this. so yeah, like that's a that's a big deal. Is like you're gonna ask me a whole bunch of stuff about Denver, and pretty much everything I'm going to say is applicable all over the country. Right. And that's part of the reason I I chose to run specifically for the federal house of representative because these problems are literally everyone's. I mean, the answer to rising costs of housing is going to be public housing that the tenants are in control of and a robust tenants bill of rights that allows them to literally have control over their landlord. We have a uh, fantastic plan to build 12 million new housing units over 10 years as part of also repealing all of the disastrous public housing policies that we have thus far, the things like uh, Hope 6 and Section 8, which is just a government payout to landlords right now. And to, to replace all of these things with a very, you know, just ar architecturally beautiful, incredibly quality public housing units that are controlled by the tenants who live in them democratically. 
part of the plan is to end all means testing on public housing because the so we want to roll out public housing in a progressive way like denver has an incredibly horrifying problem with homelessness people uh it, it, the homeless population in denver is growing every day and we had a right to survive initiative in denver where we said you have the right to put up a tent at night. You have the right to protect yourself from the elements if you're homeless. Like a very basic- Typical lib handout. Pro-humanity sort of bill. Not be beaten by cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cops weren't allowed to like fuck you up anymore and steal your stuff. They weren't allowed to do sweeps. And we didn't pass that because the luxury property landlord class came out in force and spent one and a half million dollars on an opposition campaign to say that a homeless person shouldn't be allowed to- they said homeless people shouldn't be allowed to sleep at night. And clearly we can't address this problem in any meaningful way without something at the federal level, some great big mobilization. Anyway, the point I'm making, we want to end means testing on public housing and roll it out in a progressive way so that the people who need it the most get it first. And that as we build those public housing units over 10 years, they are available to everyone because we all need it. And a universal policy on that front is the only thing I can think of that's actually going to address this. Now, the other important thing we've got to add uh, to a housing policy is that we have a robust on our website, the Tenants' Bill of Rights, containing a right to, or you know, you have the right as a tenant to organize a tenants' union. You have the oh, right yeah. to fair rent, where we tie rent increases to uh, median income in the country, so that your rent doesn't go up unless, in general, everyone's making more money. Uh, this would only be, of course, that would only be, of course, applicable to things that aren't the public housing, but it's the least we can do to privately held housing right now. We have uh, a right to counsel. Right now in Denver, eviction is a huge problem. Something like 300 people a month in Denver are evicted onto the street, including in the fucking dead of winter, because landlords, it's very easy for them to kick them out. Tenants don't have a whole lot of rights here, honestly. And. They don't have the right to counsel in landlord-tenant court, which basically means most people don't show up because there's no there's no one telling them what the fuck's going on. So we have a right to counsel uh, guaranteed to everyone in this country. One of my favorites – I have a couple of favorites. We have a right to itemized billing where your landlord has to send you a statement every month detailing, here's how much I spent on maintenance. Here's what I spent on the bills. Here's how much I profited. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I'd like to see that. I think we'd all like to see that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I, that I would both like and hate to see that. Cause I know it's just going to make me angry, but yes, I would like to know what's actually happening with my rent money. Yeah. Um, so we got a whole bunch of stuff in there. Uh, we have a, a robust right to habitability and accessibility to make sure that everyone has housing and that if your landlord doesn't provide you with habitable, accessible housing, they have to just suck it up, eat the cost and fix it for you immediately. And that seems good. Uh, we, uh, so, so all of those things together, uh, plus more, the whole plan is, the, is laid out on the website. I, so I just got to New York and Rob and I have like been walking all over Brooklyn. I mean, while I was looking for apartments, I was walking all over Brooklyn. And this city in general is really weird to rent because landlords have such power comparatively. But it's interesting walking around certain areas and you could see where the government built tons of public housing, like all around Prospect Park. It's just rows and rows of, uh, it's in the 50s, I think they built all this housing. And it's right on this beautiful park. And it's like, yeah, that would have been wonderful. I would have fucking loved to live here. Like, we don't do any of that anymore. Of course, now it's private. They're super expensive because you're on a park. But it's like, that's the sort of thing that, like, it would be great to get back to doing that. But, and then be more aggressive about tenant rights on top of it. 
Yeah, and a lot and a lot of that that comes down to is like like down down in Denver, uh, there's there's this one point where like three roads meet, and it's right near like where the homeless shelter is, and in the center of that like triangle like that triangle traffic island between the roads, uh, that used to be a place where a lot of homeless folks hung out and just had, sort of had a community space, and a bunch of rich landlords bought the thing and put up like a one story tall fence around it, and then put a bunch of dirt on it and called it a community garden. And it makes me so fucking mad because I can guarantee you the tenants in that area would have loved to have a community garden. When rich people build shit, nothing gets built where we need it, and nothing we need actually gets built. That sounds like a slogan to me. I think you put that on the shirt. <laughs> I, I, I'll have a whole series of shirts where uh, the slogans are like six, seven sentences long. <laughs> Look, you're going to have to walk towards the person so they can see what's on the front, and then you got to check the back for the salient political points. <laughs> the, pro- the problem is on the front, the solution is on the back, and both are very complicated and nuanced and have all the information you need to really get an honest grasp of it. Also, there's a hologram by the lapel, so it looks like Marx is looking at you when you move around. <laughs> all right, we're going to move along a little. Um, sure. So let's talk a little bit about healthcare. First, just off the bat, do you support Medicare for all? And yes. what does that mean to you? Okay. I figure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, I support Medicare for all. I support the uh, existing Medicare for all act, the single payer plan that just eliminates private insurance and torches it into the earth. That's a positive thing. There, I support there that. There we go. That's what I want to know. <laughs> Um, This is something not on the platform yet, but uh, Ben here is working on a larger national plan to – how did you say it? Establish uh, socialized ownership and control of the hospitals and clinics themselves, similar to the British National Health Service uh, prior to the 2012 Health and Social Care Act where the Tories gutted it. Uh, But basically, we want control of the hospitals themselves so we can truly shape our care system to care for people as even with single payer, we're still going to have so many disparities in the way uh, people receive health care. Uh, we don't have a mental health care system in this country. Uh, single payer will improve that. However, fundamentally, we don't have the resources we need. And for that, we need a national health service. Yeah. So public ownership of hospitals, that, that makes sense. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, I, I, I support a Medicare for all system that is a single payer system. But at the end of the day, that doesn't address the problem. Of, we, we can try to eliminate the pro, like the motive of profiting from healthcare as much as possible by standardizing what is paid out, which is a good start. But at the end of the day, a clinic may still be closed in an area where it is needed. I mean, part of the Medicare for all plan is making sure they are all funded wherever they are, including in rural areas or in quote-unquote poor areas, because we don't want to see that kind of injustice. But private equity still owns those things and still has control over which ones are open and which ones aren't, and we need to move toward a uh, local democratic control. Right. It's a huge crisis right now in rural communities, too, because a lot of the rural hospitals are closing. So I'm going to keep it moving. On to the next. Yeah, I honestly can't believe this is something that I even need to ask about. But, um, you know, here we are on the choice versus life thing. Um, do you believe that, uh, do you believe that Americans should have the right to choose whether or not they stand twice? Or do you believe that as more and more people are that no sauna, no life? Okay. I'll hang up and take my answer off the air. Uh, well, I, fuck, what can I say? 
uh, I'm a trans woman and um, the right to be allowed to do whatever the fuck I want with my own body is relatively important to me. And uh, that, that principle <laughs> applies universally across the board. Uh, abortion services oh, yeah. should be a part of Medicare for all. Uh, free, universal, available to anyone who wants them wherever. I also can't believe I have to answer this question, but I unreservedly support all of these services, uh, contraception, abortion, all of it, trans care, everything. Yeah, what can I say? <laughs> it's all a part oh, yeah. of it. Yeah, Medicare for all means Medicare for all, and it means all medical services. Yes, it does. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, that, that answers all of those questions. <laughs> okay, good. 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 Yeah. Oh, we can keep moving along. Um, yeah. So, I mean, since since we're in what what should be the uh, obvious portion here, um, the other one would be for, uh, I hate to have to ask this at all, but does everyone, regardless of gender or sexual orientation, deserve equal rights and protections under the law? Why? Why they do, uh, incidentally. <laughs> so, I, I know. Hard wow. questions well, here good. from Brett. <laughs> good. This would be a very weird podcast you've jumped onto to uh, be in disagreement. Well, you know what? He asked this question a lot, and uh, our last interview, it turned out uh, BTS <laughs> Army stands do not deserve rights. So, it's <laughs> good to check in. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to leave that up to our community justice system to deal with. (laughs) I trust they'll make the right decision when the time comes. (laughs) (laughs) Shots fired, Jungkook. Not to totally ruin the mood here, but so what? What can we do to address uh, the like huge rise in violence the trans community is facing regularly in the country? Oh God! Especially the last few years. And second, and second is just as an add-on to that. Do you think it's a more of a rise in violence or a rise in reporting of it? As you know, think 10, 15, 20 years ago, that sort of trans community was sort of just sort of like pushed off to the side, like something oh, we don't really yeah. want to think about. But now that you know it's becoming you know more mainstream, more acceptable, we can start being like, oh, by the way, they're being targeted for violence all over the country, and it's constantly, it's been happening and it's still happening. Gosh, see, that's a really that's a really big question that I think has a lot of th- okay. So for, to to first answer the one that's easy to answer is you asked, do I think it's an increase in violence or an increase in reporting? And I don't have statistics, but my gut says it's probably both. Um, mm-hmm. The there's more reporting of it because there's uh, more acceptance and protection. But overall, most trans people I know have lots of incidences of violence. They don't report. Like, I've had incidences of discrimination in both housing, employment, public accommodation, just everything across the board. The problem with that is, in order to actually address that with the Colorado system, we have a civil rights commission, which is super cool. But also, like, I still have to go to court and prove that I was discriminated against, rather than a system where, like, like, why would you report to a system where you have to spend six months in court and you have to pay for a lawyer out of your own pocket? Like, I've literally been ghosted by lawyers who offered to do pro bono work because they're just like, I don't want to deal with this. This is complicated, and I don't want to prove to some white judge that this is definitely somehow discrimination because it obviously is. But uh, within any anti-discrimination legal framework, people should be given attorneys provided by the public for any of these things that that's an important like anytime you create an anti-discrimination law you have to actually back it up with the resources to be able to apply it and not giving queer people resources doesn't help us yeah creating intentional bureaucratic barriers so people can't actually access the good things that you supposedly implemented is a really effective way to make sure that you sound good but you never change anything yeah 
I'm honestly not sure, other than like, you know, continuing education, what you can do to stop any given individual from like hating on and uh, hurting trans people. But I do know that the more power trans people have, the more power any marginalized group of people has in in this society, the more we speak out, the more we tell our stories, the more we're there and you can't just get rid of us. And every single protection that we have for workers, tenants, everything else in the platform is about just making it so you can't just sweep us under the rug anymore. And I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to move from one depressing topic to another. Great. Whoop, whoop. American politics. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about immigration real fast. So you all were at the same ICE protest at the Aurora ICE facility in Colorado that I was at over the summer, right? I saw the video you guys put together. Yeah, that uh, if you were there at that one. Well, so there were, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of protests at that ICE facility that happened. Were you there at the one where where people switched the flags, or were you there at the one yep, where that, we, was, that was the one we, I was at? <laughs> okay, okay, the video you saw was from one actually before that, but we oh, do, okay. I do I do actually have another video. Hopefully, I can put out one time of footage from that one too. But yeah, I was oh, there. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so, I, first question: Should we abolish ICE? Yes, yes, we should. We should burn it to the ground. Oh yeah. How do we even begin to address the the concentration camps and orphan children that now we're getting reports that they're being quietly adopted after they deport their parents? Fuck, I saw that yesterday. That's kidnapping. That's uh, that's called yep. kidnapping in most countries. First of all, abolish ICE, shutter a whole bunch of our other fascist anti-immigration agencies. Um, yes. We need to begin just tearing those prisons down. Like part part of uh part of my plan for. Criminal justice is basically stop building new prisons, and included in that is incidentally tearing down our immigration ones. Because part of addressing mass incarceration is the fact that immigration is a huge driver of that right now. And we have to free those people, tear those places down, and reconnect those families. I mean, one of the most basic things we could do is literally anyone who we're deporting, just bring them back. Let's just fly them right back here, back into the community that does not solve anything thing that's been done necessarily but if we can reunite people we need to and we can 100 percent start connecting people this is a really tough one for me because like in the ice facility near us there i mean they're denying people health care people are being hurt in that facility when they speak out against conditions they're being killed they're being killed in there and people are dying and we can't reverse that this is a hard one because there's no simple answer for what is effectively genocide yeah form of it and, and, you know, and, and moving forward, let's say it's, you know, February of 2021 and you've just been sworn in to right. the whatever Congress that is and Trump is lost, inshallah. <laughs> but what would you, you know, in 2008, Obama had the whole look forward, not backwards and the Bush administration and everyone just walked. Right. No one faced yeah. any consequences for their actions. Would you would you support like, like some kind of truth and reconciliation committee like going through just everything that's happened over the last yes, four years? Yes, and you know that's a really that's a really good idea because we you know we've got a section about that in the end the empire section and I suppose this falls readily under the end the empire section where we want to have a truth and reconciliation commission to just determine the entire just just count the deaths count the damage done really understand the scope and brutality of our of our war machine. And uh, part of that is the is is immigration, and I think that's a really good idea to to really count what happened, who did it, and begin using federal resources to bring families back here, reunite families. Um, that doesn't necessarily address the ongoing problem, but yeah, I support things like that. 
Uh, Brad, I think you got the next question. Uh, I can speak to this well because I'm staring on six figures of Oof. student loan debt Can't right now, sure. and it just gets bigger every day. So just straight up, and we're all just drowning in it on this, and sort of like the siren call of our generation almost, right? Like we're all just it's, – it's, it's devouring us. So just straight up, student loan debt. Uh, we're going to launch it into the sun on the public dime. <laughs> No, we're gonna uh, we're, we're going to abolish all of it. We're going to get rid of it. Like it's absolutely horrifying to me that like the share of people who went to college since like 1994 or something literally are one are collectively 1.6 trillion dollars poorer than anyone who went to college before that. God, I'd never heard that. <laughs> I'd never yeah, heard that. Number. Yeah, 1.6 trillion, something like that. <laughs> Sorry, what was the question I'm answering? I'm just angry about student debt cancellation. Was a yes. <laughs> I think we were talking about the best ways to destroy it. So, like you <laughs> said, shoot into the sun, maybe dig a hole. Um, I mean, there's so many ways to deal with debt. You can make it illegal to collect. You can just make it by law that they can't uh, charge you for it anymore. We can buy it up and cancel it. There's so many options. Yeah, the end result, though, that's important is debt will be canceled. Student debt will be canceled, which, hallelujah. Yes. And does that mean you also support uh, free college? Free college for everyone. Uh, we like on our platform. We have we will immediately pass the existing College for All Act, which is tuition free college for eighty percent of people. And then I will. And then we will spend all of our time fighting for free college for literally everyone. I I, I hate those little stair step things like that. But there is an existing College for All Act. They'll make college free for most people. So yeah, free college for everyone. It, we might even be able to just amend the College for All Act at that point and make it free for everyone. That's that's where we're going. Awesome. So related to that, uh, I, you have a position on charter schools as well, right? Yes. And school funding. Would love to hear your your take on charter schools. Charter schools. Uh, we need to phase them out of every single school district. I mean, they're effectively just a modern version of child labor where a bunch of kids go in, do a bunch of schoolwork, and then a private owner collects the money. But the most important thing is that charter schools are, they're not beholden to the school board. Like we democratically elect how we want our schools to operate and mm -hmm. charter schools don't have to obey that. They just have to obey the conditions of their charter. And what you end up seeing is the person who runs the charter school hires a for-profit company to do the administration and management of the charter school. And oops, that same person owns the for-profit management company. And oh, we, yeah. we need to partner with every local school district to phase them out as quickly as possible. So a lot of the ways people try to justify charter schools is like, oh, well, they get better outcomes. Well, they get better outcomes because they pick and choose. In Florida, a bunch of them have been sued because they yeah. will not take disabled children or children with special needs. So fuck charter schools. They're they're doing with well, they're doing with schools what they tried to do with public housing, which is uh, try to yep. build a, a public system to address the quote unquote poor or disabled folks or marginalized people in incapacity, and then they're trying to create a privatized system for fucking rich people who don't have to deal with us uh, riffraff. Yep, create a tiered system and separate everybody. Yep. Um, okay, awesome. That's what I just wanted to hear. Yeah. Can't stand charter schools. Um, here's a quick one: Should billionaires exist? Why no, they shouldn't. Oh, that, was a, that was a quick answer. Mm. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's an um, easy one. It's, it's a difficult question I've spent many, many years thinking over, but I think the answer I came to is, oh, this question is really easy, and the answer is no. <laughs> For the wealth tax, we just defer to Bernie's plan because it, it gets complicated in the way you tax uh, individuals versus married mm. couples. Uh, like Liz Warren's plan, That's for example, sucks 
because uh, married couples <laughs> could simply get divorced and pay half the tax on their hoarded uh, wealth. Whereas Bernie's plan addresses that, because Bernie's the man, let's be honest here. Uh, and so we defer to him on that. However, we support, well, Charlie supports, I should say, far more we radical uh, wealth taxes. Yeah, but I'm not yeah. the candidate. So, uh. so, so I, I, was, I was looking for um, uh, several things. One, our tax brackets for the new tax system, 90% on everything over $25 million. 70% on everything over 10 million, 50% on everything over 500,000. Reaping that money back and giving it back to the people is a very important thing to do. I think the right will probably accuse me of redistribution, and I'd like to go on record and say, yes, that's the point. The workers did it, and they get the money back now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do one more policy or uh, sort of interrelated foreign policy question, and then we'll, we'll talk about uh, your campaign specifically a little bit. Okay. Okay. So this is sort of a two-parter. Uh, one, what's your stance on ongoing military presence in Afghanistan and the Middle East? And do you support a repeal of the a AUMF? Uh, well, I have a section on my platform called End the Empire because I'm very tired of our military. But <laughs> <laughs> now, end of sentence. I'm very tired of our military. And um, I, I do not support any of these imperial wars that we're fighting. I do not support any of the profiteering off of weapons fighting for oil we have a plan for a department of peace which li literally is just let's get a department in the federal government that is required to be funded at the same level as all the departments of war so we can get some of those funds mm -hmm. going to aid uh, democratically controlled community resources that are just given freely for what people need the goal here is to divert as much money from overseas drone murder to community-based resources i am in general anti-empire, anti-imperialist, and I want the wars to end, and I'd like to replace them with resources for people. No, you love to hear it. All right. Um, <laughs> How do you, as a candidate, um, sort of plan to resist that sort of the creep of uh, D.C. influence, you know? People go to D.C. to do good, and they stay to do well. Like, what, what, would, your, what would your approach be? I mean, that that's be? genuinely a good question, because, so, you know, I got into the politics thing, uh, just being like, I'm going to be radical. I'm going to say the shit I want. We're going to resist influence. And since the day I stepped, I stepped in, there is literally just like people just keep saying to me like, oh, you need to be less yourself. You need to not say those things you say. You should promote this like instead of this, even just for the last few months, talking with people, planning a campaign, getting people involved to like, it's been a fuck of a thing to resist that. Yeah. Like my goal in getting elected is not to have a political career. The goal here is to build grassroots campaigns that fight for things on the ground level. Like one of the things that was so disappointing about like the Obama campaign was there was this huge groundswell of people who were just like, let's do everything. And then as soon as Obama got into office, they just sort of let that fade away. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. the goal here is to right. do that, but also not let it fade away to to, you know, my goal in Congress is to point out who the enemies are, point out the people who are not willing to go with us on this journey, and then support grassroots movements in those places to take those people down so we can actually get a government of the people. When you're elected by people, you don't need these moneyed interests. I'm going to hate certain parts of this job, but I'm going to absolutely <laughs> love being able to do it. Does that make sense? That's what I think. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah, great. I was going to say, so uh, speaking of your campaign a little bit, like that, so on your website, you have this great 
full transparency of personal finances. What what precipitated that? Well, so what precipitated that? I don't I don't know. It's like I just have to talk about money all the time. Like it's something my partner and I have to think about every single day. I'm the person in the house who keeps a very you know complex budget. It's like the 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 full budget we actually keep is not on the website, but like I tried to put as much of our like here's all the outflow that we have. You know, here's at least an honest percentage. Like our rent is forty percent of the combination of my partner and my roommate's income. Uh, it's every. I think everyone should should put it out there. I'd like to know what the other candidates are making. I'd like to know what they think. It's very refreshing, sort because you know you, you you think about how many politicians right now in the House or wherever haven't thought about their finances yeah. in you know, decades, haven't had to worry about you know uh, of being able to afford putting guacamole if they go to Chipotle, yeah. stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. The uh... I got a good collection of friends who are willing to buy me lunch when we go out but other than that that ain't happening (laughs) (laughs) and for comparison the current representative diana uh is worth about two million now which i didn't even know it was that high (laughs) yeah that's gone up by like 60 actually i think it's more than doubled since 2007 so wow things things are going well for her and i wonder what happened in 2008 that would have made the rich richer yeah, no, I can't think of anything either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I love to see the transparency uh, on, on your website. And I love that you all are doing that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, since you did mention your hobbies, you say you, what is yeah. it called? Phil, Philatelli? How, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Philately? Philately. What is that? That's, <laughs> that's the fancy ass word for stamp collecting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just wondering the other day what the fancy ass word is for stamp collecting. So thank you. I'm here to serve the people. <laughs> how did you how did you get into stamp collection? I've always collected stuff throughout my life. I've just always enjoyed that. I uh as a kid collected a lot of bottle caps and uh trading cards. Big into Pokemon, big into Yu-Gi-Oh. That was fun. I missed those games. <laughs> uh you, you you know that you know the philip roth philip roth plot against america that book the kid in there has a stamp collection and i read that book and the thing i took away from it primarily was wow stamp collecting sounds awesome <laughs> so <laughs> so uh i started doing it and then there's so much you can do with it than just like collect them I'd like to press you on that one. What do you do with stamps other than collect them? <laughs> they don't. There's really two things I can think of. Okay, well, for the record, I do send a lot of mail, and that is fun. So that's something. But you must just be fucking loving every time you send an envelope, huh? <laughs> <laughs> there's so there's two things I do. One is I create an envelope, which is uh, it's a number six and three quarter envelope, like for the size of a check, and you put a stamp in the corner. You do a bunch of art on the left half of it. That's called the cachet. And then they cancel it for you. And so you have a stamp with a bunch of art you did that's been canceled on the day it was released, which I'm not sure how that got started as a thing, but that's super cool. And there are several on my website you can look at to figure out what the fuck I'm talking about. Now, the other thing that I do is I create what I call cancellation panes. If you go into the postal service website you can go to the you can you can find a digital copy of uh the the quote-unquote postal bulletin which is the the internal postal communications magazine that they put out to post offices so you know like here's all the changes we're updating to our systems this week here's all the new stamps we're releasing and they have a whole bunch of neat information like 
the exact size to the millimeter of the stamp, who printed it, what kind of press it was printed on, when it was released, who did the art for it, all sorts of stuff like that. So what I do is I put all of that, all, all the tech specs for a stamp on a page, and then I, I pair it with a story about something related to the stamp. So like, they just released a bunch of frog stamps. So I found some articles that talked about how injecting frogs with hormones taken from pregnant women was how they used to do pregnancy tests for a while. Because it, by, by injecting them with hormones, if, if someone was pregnant, it would cause the frog to start laying eggs. And that for a while was how they did pregnancy tests. And what? Ben's given me a weird face. It's fun. It's cool. No, it's <laughs> no, it's actually the terrible. hobby's cool, but that's <laughs> weird as hell. The history. Yeah. Anyway, so I have a story about that um, on the pane, front and back, paired with the frog stamps, which are then canceled with the first day of issue. But anyway, so I do those. I post all those on Twitter if you ever want to see those. Um, I enjoy oh, awesome. the hell out of that. <laughs> do you do you have those? Uh, the one that they fucked up a little bit ago, the Forever Statue of Liberty stamps. Uh, I think so. You're talking about the Vegas one? Yeah, so for yeah. those who don't know, they, they the released these stamps in like 2010, and it's a close-up of like iconic American landmarks, and one's a close-up of the Statue of Liberty face, but it's not a close-up of the actual Statue of Liberty. It's a picture of the Statue of Liberty in Vegas <laughs> at the New York, New York Hotel. And so once the Vegas people found out, they sued the Postal Service and won three and a half million off of them because the Postal Service was too lazy to take a picture of the actual Statue of Liberty. <laughs> yeah, they 100% just Google image that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Drama and stamp collecting. <laughs> uh, very cool. Well, we're almost out of time. So before we end... Why are you the best person for this job? Oh my God, because I'm not a rich person because I have to like <laughs> say no more. All right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop, we're good. Be I mean, for God's sake, elect a trans woman so that I can yell at all of those awful people in Congress who hate people like me. Like that would be great. I want to see that. I also want to see that. Mm. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, when, is, when is the actual primary vote? The primary election is June 30th, 2020. Uh, signature collecting to put me on the ballot is going to have to begin in earnest in January. And that's mm -hmm. a super important thing because, like, I'm confident we cannot get the Democratic Party of Denver to be like, we support you over the person we've supported for 22 years. I don't think caucus is the way to go on that one. So we need to first Correct. put me on the ballot starting with signatures in January. But the, the primary election itself, June 30th. 2020. Awesome. Okay. And so how can people help your campaign if they're not in Denver or in Colorado? Oh, if gotcha. you are, please, please show up to help, help collect signatures, volunteer for the campaign, that sort of thing. Yes, please. If you're outside of this state, please donate to the campaign. Everything we do is going to be based on small, small donation funding. And let's face it, just about everything we're fighting for here is something we need everywhere right now. So any help you can provide is supremely appreciated. You can do that at my website. There's a donate button at the top. It's charliemadisonwinters.com. And then the other thing you can also do, and you should do regardless, is you should follow the campaign on Twitter so that even if you're not in Denver, she has a larger platform. She can make sure more people in Denver see. And that's at Extant CMW, E-X-T-A-N-T-C-M-W. So definitely follow her as well. Donate to her campaign. Yes, please. Uh, like my tweets. Give me that little shot of dopamine I need. <laughs> we're we're going to get on the ballot and then we're going to win this election and we're going to unseat one of the most powerful people in the House of Representatives. So we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for so much for joining us. Thank Appreciate you. it. This has been fun. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm I'm sorry about Rob's hard hitting questions about uh, K-pop stands, but you know, <laughs> we never got to the bottom of who's standing Luna. <laughs> but yeah, thanks again for joining us. Thank you everybody for listening. You can uh, follow the show account on Twitter at Dumb Awful Show. We're on Patreon as well. Uh, we have bonus episodes there and come in our discord and come say hi if you want to do something else you can rate review on whatever your podcast app of choice is thanks y'all appreciate it thank you charlie thank you